0: Welcome to Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. I'm Tony Conley. We have a great guest today, someone who I've talked to quite a bit on the radio and on our podcast. Patrick DeHaan is with GasBuddy.com. He's a petroleum analyst. I love his Twitter definition of who he is. Not defined by political agendas, oiled and refined products, gasoline, etc., analyst, gas price mythbuster, and fact checker. Also, bourbon fan, him and I have that in common, data lover, and proud alum of DePaul University there in Chicago. Patrick, how are you?
1: Good, Tony. Great to be with you. And Boy, you know, I wish it was after five so we could get into the bourbon, but...
0: I'm telling you, I just <laughs> had a vacation where we were right on the ocean, and I'm not sure there's anything better than having a Knob Creek, a cigar right there on the ocean. That's a pretty... Hey, I'm going to morph <laughs>
1: out of this conversation, and I'm going to make a jump over there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty cool. Before we start talking about your business, something else that we have in common is the weather in Chicago and what we see here in Michigan. And we're recording this on a Tuesday. It's actually Tuesday, the 16th of May. Talk a little bit about the weather, what you're seeing over in Chicago as we speak.
1: Well, Tony, it's a beautiful summer start to the day so far. The temperature is getting up towards 80 degrees. And, you know, I saw it on Twitter this morning. I've experienced it a couple of times. But the weather is going to drastically change this afternoon. In fact, the National Weather Service and sources saying that we're going to have one of these dubious pneumonia fronts. And within 10 or 15 minutes, at some point this afternoon, this cold front's going to pass through. And we're going to feel more like fall, if not, you know, a mild winter with temperatures going from 81 all the way down to the upper 40s later today.
0: And usually what you see in Chicago, we see, you know, a half day, a full day later. So thanks a lot, Patrick, for room. Yeah, you're record. welcome. Have the <laughs> bourbon ready. <laughs> All right. Let's talk a little bit about the gas prices here in the state of Michigan. What do you see? Where do you think we're headed for the rest
1: of May? Well, Tony, we've been bouncing around now. Gas prices every couple of weeks. I've made the jump. We saw that here just within the last day. Michigan stations jumped up to three sixty-nine. My buddy in Hudsonville, on uh, Western Michigan, I sent a message to. I said, "You better fill up because it's going up to 369." And you know how can it go from 294 to station in Hudsonville, Tony? I hear a lot of this, and again, this is what we've talked about in the past: is price cycling. Let me try to spell it out. At 294 a gallon, that station was probably losing 10 or 13 cents a gallon. The reason for that is because their competition probably was selling at that lower price, and people are really price sensitive, Tony. What would you rather pay, 294 or 305? Well, yeah. you're going to go fill up for 294. And so the station that was at 305 has to go down. The problem is when most stations start to sell gasoline at or below cost, they're going to be looking for the competition to go up. And if the competition goes up, guess what? They're going to as well. Now, stations had their hands forced because over the last month, which is, by the way, the last time Michigan prices took this big jump up, what we call a price cycle, over the last month, the wholesale price of gasoline has gone up 30 cents a gallon. Now, normally a station makes 25 to 35 cents. That's on a good day, but that doesn't hold too long. So, Tony, if you add up that 30 cent a gallon jump that stations hadn't passed along, plus if they're going from losing five or 10 cents to making 25 to 35 cents, all of a sudden that's a 65 to 70 cent a gallon spread between the jump in wholesale. And the restoration of their profit margin, of course, stations have to make money to stay in business. So that's why a station can go from 294, losing 10 cents, all the way up to 369, because they're going from the wrong side of margin to the positive, And they're also passing along the jump in wholesale gas prices. You know, what's
0: been frustrating for me is I want to keep The money I spend locally here outside of the Lansing area, probably 15 minutes. So where I live, the Speedway gas station will have gas 10 cents more than the Speedway gas station that is seven Hmm. miles away in a neighboring community. Yeah, And, you know, a dime's a dime, but it's kind of frustrating that they're so close together, but there's that change.
1: Well, they're so close together, but they're not really, because somebody is not going to probably drive to the further station away, right? That's another 10 or 15 minutes, and they're going to use more gasoline. So, Tony, it's a really hyper market, a hyper local market. Stations that are probably more than five miles away, they're not going to be paying attention to what their competition is. So they might not even, they probably don't even know. Two speedway stations probably don't even know what the other one's charging. Corporate probably does, But again, people aren't going to drive 15 minutes out of their way to fill up. And so what happens is you have very hyper-local prices. One town may be completely different than 15 miles away. Now, they tend to be close because normally people may drive 10 or 15 minutes away. If the difference is, say, 50 cents, then people probably will. So there is some resemblance of competition, but usually, it's within two or three miles of that given station, meaning if one station's at 294 a gallon, for example, if a station's more than a few miles away, they probably aren't paying attention and they're probably not going to compete with that station three miles away because they really don't have to because people aren't normally paying attention.
0: We're talking with petroleum analysts from GasBuddy.com, Patrick Dehan. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the summer driving season and then the summer blends for petroleum products. We'll do that next here on Media Business. I'm Tony Connolly, and this is the Michigan Business Network.
1: Managing your office supplies is key to a seamlessly functioning business. With over 90,000 items available for free next day delivery and no minimum order, DBI can solve all your office supply needs from pencils to coffee at the very best value. Call DBI and ask a sales representative to show you their product offerings or visit dbiyes.com and request a product catalog. DBI does all things office, office supplies, furniture, and environments.
0: This is the Michigan Business Network Media Business. I'm Tony Conley talking with Patrick Dehan, who is the petroleum analyst for GasBuddy.com. Patrick, let's talk a little bit more about the summer driving season. I know the last time we talked, you mentioned that there's the change in gasoline to the summer blend. Has that transition been made and where are we with that?
1: Yeah, we're basically done with that transition. I'm going to say 98% of stations are probably dispensing summer gasoline today, mid-May. Most stations have gotten rid of all their remaining winter gasoline. There could be a station in remote areas of Michigan that don't get much traffic that still could be selling winter gasoline. But by and large, usually by late April, early May, that transition is done at the retail level. So any price increases you see really right now are not tied to that carryover or that changeover. Usually it's something that hits prices more in March and April.
0: If I can touch on a little bit more about what I noticed when I was in Gulf Shores, Alabama, which is near Pensacola and the Florida border. When I left Michigan, the gas price for a gallon of gas was three fifty four. dollars in Alabama, I saw gas prices anywhere from 299 down to 290 I thought that was fascinating.
1: There are big regional differences. So you are in the cheapest or in the South, you're kind of in the refinery backyard, right? There's so many refineries down in Louisiana and in Texas, and all of them are hooked up to a massive pipeline, the colonial pipeline, which many people heard about in 2021, right? The cyber attack. But That pipeline connects refineries in Texas and Louisiana, and it sends gasoline through Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, and all the way up the eastern seaboard, which is why prices are generally left. Now, in Alabama, they also have very low gasoline taxes. And so not only are you in probably the best region for the lowest price because you're awash in gasoline with all those refineries, but then the government is a very light touch on that gasoline tax. And coupled together, that's why you see much lower prices in areas like Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana. All of those generally are lower tax areas.
0: Patrick, I noticed in the news while I was away, there was some challenges with refineries. I believe I saw one where there was a fire. Was there any other challenges that could affect gas prices?
1: Well, in Florida, you know there was a a tremendous amount of localized flooding that shut down one of the major arteries for Florida. Florida does not get its gasoline from a pipeline. Most of it is coming via barges from those Gulf Coast refineries. And so as a result of record-setting rain in Fort Lauderdale, I think it was 27 inches, some of the equipment was flooded. Some of the pumps that pump gasoline out of storage tanks failed. And so a lot of Florida, because of the lack of those pumps, A lot of Miami, Fort Lauderdale, West Palm Beach started to experience outages. And like Americans do, we freak out over, you know, a gas line or pumps on bags, just like we freak out about toilet paper. And that's what happened in Florida then, Tony. People saw lines. They saw a couple stations that didn't have gas. And it was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy is that everyone all of a sudden started to rush out and fill up, even if they didn't need it. And that created a lot of temporary outages across Southern Florida.
0: How's Florida doing as we speak?
1: They're basically fully recovered now. Those percentage of outages are down significantly. But at the peak, Tony, about 66% of stations in Miami, Fort Lauderdale did not have gasoline. And again, it's not really because of the torrential rain. That was a small factor, but more because of the panicked response we saw.
0: As I mentioned, you can follow Patrick Dehan on Twitter. And Patrick, I know you've been talking a little bit about the government trying to replenish our emergency gasoline storage. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, you know, Tony, I'm trying to think of a good comparison here. I don't know for anyone that works, you know, on the road or whatnot and has expenses, you know, the government has a lot of policies in place to make things probably more challenging, but because there has to be transparency and because the government has to do the best in the face of taxpayers, it's not like refilling the SPR is going to Home Depot and just buying 3 million barrels of oil at Home Depot. First of all, Home Depot wouldn't stock that much oil. But again, the process, it's not like the government just runs around with a credit card. The government has processes to solicit the most competitive bids, the lowest price bid. It's kind of like an auction, right? The government wants to get the lowest prices. So oil companies bid on this project and the government's not going to say you have one day to give us a bid. The government says the window is going to be 30 days. You have a 30 day window to give us your best offer. At the end of that window, the government says, okay, here are the best deals. Or if there's no good deals in there, if they don't like the deals, they're not going to make a deal. So, again, Tony, you know, and the government says we're going to refill the SPR, it's basically telling companies submit an offer to us at the end of 30 days. We're going to review those offers. If there's one good one, we'll buy the oil and that's a whole nother process because then they have to get budget approval to spend the us money on that and if they don't the process starts all over so tony this is a really convoluted long process kind of like closing a house right you don't just go and say i want that house it takes 60 days to close on. Mm-hmm.
0: just from your perspective do you think they'll get a price a number that they like
1: well tony the difference this time around i do think that'll happen eventually the difference between this process and what happened in years past was that previously the government would buy at the market price, just like you and I buy the home at a market price, whatever the price is today. Well, oil companies are probably betting that six months from now, the price of oil may be higher. At least that's the bet they're taking. And they don't want to offer the government oil at a lower price than when the government is going to acquire that oil, right? They want the market price. And so that's essentially what you know is going on is some oil companies don't want to make an offer today that's going to be worse than what oil is going to be in three months. So it's kind of like hedging your bets. Do you think the oil market's gonna go up or down? It seems like most oil companies think the market's going to go up, so they don't want to give the government an attractive price today and then have to sell at a lower price to the government six months from now.
0: We have one segment remaining with Patrick Dehan from Gas Buddy, and when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the price of diesel do that next here on media business on michigan business network
1: for something to grow it takes time like the equity in your home that's why LAFQ offers a home equity line of credit because frequent watering of your house plants may be recommended. Now can we get a new roof? Not so much the rest of the house. Want the best rates for a home equity line of credit? Ask for LaughQ. Stop in today or go to LaughQ.com slash home equity. LaughQ, your credit union for life.
0: Welcome back to Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. I'm Tony Connolly. Thanks so much for joining us with our conversation with Patrick DeHaan from Gas Buddy. And Patrick, in my lifetime, it seems like the price of diesel gasoline has just been up and down. It's been a roller coaster ride. It always amazes me when it's so much more than the conventional gas we buy for our vehicle or it's lower. Where are we now with the diesel and where do you see it going?
1: Tony, for those that have ever frequented Cedar Point, they'll remember that little dragster ride that shoots straight up 420 feet and then shoots straight down. And that's kind of been the ride diesel's been on. Last year it shot straight up. We had a strong economy. Russia invaded Ukraine. Russia produces a lot of diesel. And so last year we saw prices skyrocket. In fact, Tony, at the peak, last December, the price of diesel on average was a dollar and seventy-one cents more than a gallon of gasoline. But since then, We got a mild winter, refineries have increased capacity. We've seen expansions coming online. And more importantly, we've seen the economy start to falter. And that hits diesel more than anything else because diesel is the fuel of the economy. And so we've seen diesel now on the bottom side of that top world dragster ride. It's come down significantly. And by June, Tony, diesel prices may be $2 a gallon lower than where they were last June. The national average for diesel now is only a mere 42 cents a gallon more expensive than gasoline. So there's been a lot of recovery. And again, a lot of that has to do with economics and a warmer than normal winter. Tony, that matters because diesel is basically the same as heating oil, and many areas in the Northeast still use heating oil. So if it's a warmer winter, we don't use as much.
0: Patrick, in your conversations with petroleum analysts, as well as petroleum producers, what's their take on this push from our federal government to electrify, if you will, as soon as possible?
1: Well, everyone's really anxious about it because nobody really knows the way the government's going to go. You know, we have one administration, the Biden administration is pushing really hard. The question is, is this going to be sustainable? Are there going to be nuclear plants to build all the capacity we need it, you know, in terms of power consumption? I mean, if you suddenly throw incentives out there and millions of Americans start buying EVs, the bigger question, Tony, is do you have enough power plants to charge up those EVs? Are people building solar? What are the requirements? So there's a lot of anxiety because nobody really knows what comes next. But the Russia war in Ukraine has some really good examples. Europe put all of its reliance on Russian energy, Tony. And this is a really good example of putting too many eggs in one basket could come back to bite, and So I think there's a lot of questions of, well, I think cleaner fuels are part of the answer here, Tony, but I think putting all eggs in one basket, I mean, if there's some nuclear technology or an issue that comes up with that, you know, we're gonna be kind of in a situation Europe was in this past winter when they basically, they shut down all their gas power, they shut down coal, they're relying on renewable energy. And that's not bad, Tony, a mix of things is not bad. But Germany basically relied completely on Russia for all its energy. And you'll remember at one point, the price of energy in Europe, I think, was 500 times what it was the previous year. So that's a devastating cost to the economy in those other countries. And, you know, I think EVs have a place, but I think they have a place alongside traditional fuels that still have some room to clean up.
0: Patrick, what do you think OPEC and Venezuela and Russia and other oil producing countries what do they think about us here in the U.S. and our oil production?
1: Well, I mean, the U.S. leads the world in oil production. What I do see, though, is kind of a worrisome trend, Tony, in that we've seen Saudi Arabia aligning with Russia, right? They're two big oil producers. And geopolitically, this has major ramifications because, you know, if Saudi Arabia is cozying up to Russia more, you know, they have some power. I mean, Saudi Arabia and Russia are the second and third largest oil producers in the world, and the U.S. is number one. Now, this is where politics comes into play, Tony, because if the current administration is trying to shut down the growth in the U.S. oil industry, we're giving more power to Saudi Arabia and Russia, and that's not necessarily a good thing. But the Biden administration came into the Oval Office, make no mistake, tried to crack down on the oil sector, and now we've given more power back to OPEC because power comes in the hands of how much oil production you have, and derailing oil production leaves you more susceptible to geopolitical shocks from Russia and Saudi Arabia. So it's a really interesting time, Tony, but I'm a little bit concerned that Saudi Arabia seems to be more aligned with Russia than it does with the United States as of late.
0: The federal government, through its different entities and through its media sources, constantly talks about how the petroleum industry here in our country is misleading us when it comes to the production of petroleum products here in our country, that there are plenty of leases. But what we hear, what we understand is that there's a lot of challenges with gaining those leases and really having the time to go into production. Talk a little bit about that, Patrick.
1: Well, Tony, I'm taking it with a grain of salt from both sides, right? There's probably going to be some rhetoric on both sides. That's maybe a little bit inflammatory, a little bit misleading. I think the truth is this, and who knows, the oil industry and the government probably aren't going to be real happy with, you know, hearing the truth. But I think oil companies have moved much more slowly in increasing production. They have the ability to increase it more. Keep in mind, Tony, we're, you know, about 2 million barrels above where we were in COVID. That's not the best benchmark, but, you know, oil production has recovered even with Biden in the White House. Now, Biden has tried to derail future growth prospects, but the oil industry has realized that if they take a slow, more cautious approach, it can be more profitable. Why would the oil industry want to pump more oil if the price of oil is higher today? Because if you add oil production tomorrow, Tony, the price of oil might be lower. So oil companies, kind of because of COVID, are taking a much more cautious and slow approach at raising production. So, you know, oil companies like to say, oh, it's the Biden administration. Well, that's not really true. Oil companies could raise production more quickly before the Biden administration's policies come into play. And on the White House, you know, you can't come into the White House and parade how you're cracking down on the oil sector and then expect them to cozy up with you and listen to what you want. And the Biden administration, after coming in being very anti-oil, is now begging oil companies to forget what it said and to move on. And so, you know, it's give and take. Tony, if a friend burns a bridge with you and calls you all sorts of names and hates you, Mm -hmm. are you going to cozy right back up to that friend? And I think that's the issue here with oil companies is they're feeling a bit of a burned relationship here between them and the White House.
0: Final question for you, Patrick. How do we in the media do, from your perspective, when it comes to reporting accurate news about gas prices, about the petroleum industry. And I know that you are non-biased and you will go on any entity that asks you from Fox News to others, how do we do and how can we be better?
1: Well, Tony, you have me on. So, I mean, that's a good start. You know, honestly, I think there are a lot of analysts who have skin in the game. There may be oil and gas investors that have an agenda that want to see things, you know, they want to see certain outcomes. And, I think that's where, you know, you have to be careful with who you listen to because if somebody has an agenda, if they have a conflict of interest, they're going to skew their opinion towards the conflict of interest unless that person has integrity. But unfortunately, a lot of us value money more than we do our integrity. I think I was raised the opposite way. So, you know, Tony, I think, you know, the media, I see a lot of guests that, you know, come on and give factual information, but every once in a while I see somebody who is probably more motivated by their own agenda, their own trading, right? And they want to turn a profit, kind of like all this stuff with crypto, right? All the people championing crypto are doing so because they have a collective interest in crypto, and they want the value to go up. So you really shouldn't listen to people you know, that have a whole lot of crypto or have something to make. And that's why I think, you know, in the media, I think most outlets do a pretty good job with balancing that, right? They have different viewpoints on but I would say to the audience, you always have to be a little bit careful of who you listen to, even me. Get somebody else's opinion as well.
0: Patrick DeHaan is the petroleum analyst for Gas Buddy. You can follow him on Twitter at Patrick Dehan at Gas Buddy Guy. Patrick, you know I appreciate you so much, sir. Thank you very much.
1: My pleasure, Tony. Thanks for having me again.
0: I'm Tony Connolly. This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network.